Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Jolie Hamilton is a research psychologist, an ASECT certified sex educator, TEDx speaker, and a sex and relationship coach. She holds a doctorate in depth psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. She spent many years working directly with clients, helping them to improve their relationship skills, and is also a professor of human sexuality. Over the past two decades, she has started a dozen business ventures, ranging from clothing design to personal training to providing birth and lactation doula services, all while managing her own relationships, pursuing her graduate degrees, and raising and homeschooling seven kids. Jolie has felt those wild highs and terrible lows that come with business ownership, marriage, divorce, and reinventing love from the bottom up. She's committed to helping women create sustainable, soul-nourishing relationships without sacrificing their career dreams. You've heard that every relationship is different, and this one truly is. I'm having a conversation with Dr. Jolie Hamilton, who's going to give us an in-depth look at what a polyamorous relationship looks like. What's polyamory? Having more than one relationship at a time, triads, quads. We'll take a look at that and the topic of jealousy, which is pretty easy to understand how that might rear its ugly head in that type of relationship. Let's get right to it. Here's Dr. Jolie. Okay, everybody. I have jo- Dr. Jolie Hamilton with us today, and you know we were we were talking right before I hit record, and we decided that we're going to switch gears to what we were originally going to be speaking about because Dr. Jolie is an expert on the topic of jealousy. So if you've ever been jealous, you've ever experienced that emotion and all that goes with it, uh, buckle up. I have a feeling we're in for a very interesting ride. So welcome, Dr. Jolie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, you know, I just want to start with what would, because I know people ask me, why would you study betrayal? Well, you, you know, you don't study something like betrayal unless you have to. Yep. What was the reason to study jealousy? Well, I found myself called to study jealousy long before I realized it. I, um, I actually accidentally tattooed the kanji symbol for jealousy on my back. Um, You know, so that's a whole story, but (laughs) it has been literally following me this whole time. I did my doctoral work and you know how sometimes a question just starts nibbling at you and it won't leave you. Mm -hmm. I had so many people ask me about my personal relationship, which had been messy. I I got a divorce. I entered a triad. There was lots of jealousy going on. Um, I then entered the, the world of polyamory where jealousy was a hot topic. And people would ask me all the time questions about deep psychological questions about jealousy, like, how do you handle it? And I didn't have really solid answers. But when it came time to choose my dissertation, I still didn't want to study it. It it just doesn't feel good to swim in something so murky. Mm -hmm. Um, But eventually I, I gave in and I decided to surrender to it. And I am so glad I did, because what I found is that jealousy actually has some wonderful gifts for us. And so now that I stopped avoiding it, I'm here for it. I love it. <laughs> Beautiful. And I want to get into that, but I know just for you to say you got involved in uh, polyamory. Polyamory, I, yeah. I know there are people say, first of all, because I, I always try to get into the head of my listeners and viewers and what are, you know, what are their questions? So their questions may be, what the heck is that? And uh, how did you navigate that? Yeah. Did so you, yeah, polyamory just means many loves. 
it's that's simply all it means but mostly what it looks like is people who are consensually engaging in more than one romantic relationship at a time so not just dating these are usually committed relationships um casual dating would fall under consensual monogamy too but we're talking about committed consensual like triads or quads of people who are deciding to make relationships together. Now, I got into it sort of by accident. I fell in love with someone, he was married, and we began a relationship with the full knowledge of everyone involved thinking like this will be okay. It turned out it was really messy, and that's a really common experience. I didn't feel alone because when I turned to the interwebs as we do, I found out that Consensual non-monogamy is a thing. There are lots of people talking about it, but it's complicated. And we can't just decide to start a whole new relationship structure with nothing behind us, with no background, no model. And so I had a lot to learn. I made a lot of mistakes. And polyamory is not for the faint of heart, right? You, If you're gonna get into something where there's more than one love attachment, betrayal is like right there, jealousy is right there. They're all just sort of sitting there waiting for you as possibilities. And, and I know, I know all my listeners right then when you said you fell in love with a married man, mm -hmm. they know, was it polyamory or or were you the affair partner? What, yeah. What was yeah, so I like to be really transparent about this because it was it was confusing to me what my role was i had known this man my whole life literally my entire life he had been a friend of the family for years and we had been friends we had kids all around the same age we went out one night um just all as couples and he and i noticed that there was a spark and my instant reaction was oh my gosh okay i have to be really transparent about this so it was out in the open right away I was married at the time, he was married at the time, and I knew only one way through a complicated situation, which was to be honest. So I told everybody. And when I did, I was met with some really surprising responses from- and When you said you told everybody, everybody <laughs> being who? Uh, his partner, my partner, and oh, all of our friends, okay, because okay. like everybody was going to see this, like, okay, this is, even if nothing happened, because the thing is, nothing happened. I, we just felt a spark. We were like, oh, Oh, there's attraction. What do we do? Nothing had happened physically. Nothing had changed except we both knew that there was this attraction in the room and we didn't want it to be hidden because that is where problems fester. That's and where it starts. And I have to tell you, I have so much respect for you right there because there are so many people who this just becomes the dirty secret. Mm -hmm. And it just, it is so tragic what it does to the couple, to the families. So I really appreciate your honesty here. Yeah, it's hard sometimes to own my story, but I feel like the strength of it is that it was messy. It was hard. A lot of people got hurt. I did some of the hurting. I got hurt too. And yet what I learned is that the healing that came from that has been has been not just for me, but for so many people who I'm involved with. My own relationship, I actually wound up marrying that guy years later. Here we are together. Um, I, I did not anticipate that at the outset, but the pain that we all went through would have been so much worse if we had hidden it at the time. And for me, it would be so much worse to be building a life now where I try to help people with their relationships, but from a place where I say, oh, sure, it's fine, it's fine. And I don't reveal how I came to know this. I know this because I've been there. Mm, right. that and that that makes such a difference so walk us through the the part where here it is your your you know there is this definite attraction what the heck do you do with that so you were honest and did you i mean was it 
what was the journey like from that point? And, yeah. and I also, I'm always interested in what sort of physical, mental, emotional symptoms were, were going on at that time? That is a wonderful question because the somatic symptoms, I used to describe them like this. I felt like someone had poured a shot of brandy down my spine. It was so overwhelmingly intense, this attraction combined with this, um, this uh, not knowing. I didn't know whether a relationship could happen or what it would look like. It upended my whole world. So I wound up in a completely topsy-turvy state. I was, um, I was literally having hot and cold flashes and I was 33 years old. It was too early for that. I was, I was experiencing heart palpitations and I was having that, that intense reaction. I wasn't eating. I, I stopped eating. I, it was, um, and it wasn't conscious. It was a very unconscious experience. I started speaking the truth and saying, I said to his wife, I said to my husband, I said to our friends, here's what's happening for me. And it, the, what happened was that everyone had their own reactions. Something I couldn't have anticipated was that there were a lot of people whose reaction was, oh my God, don't talk about that. It might be true, but please don't talk about it. Even if you're going to do stuff, do it behind closed doors. Wow. I didn't anticipate that. And that for me caused a deeper manifestation of my symptoms. I started struggling to maintain my sense of just sanity, of equilibrium. Um, I felt very unmoored. And we didn't physically move forward. Everything stayed very friendship wise, but our emotional connections started deepening even when we weren't talking. It, it felt very spiritual. And that, mm -hmm. was, that was challenging because I'd never had that with a partner before. Mm -hmm. That said, the next symptoms that started to show up, I didn't recognize at the time, but were the early signs of jealousy taking root. Mm -hmm. There were, there were, there was gossip going on. There were like the outward signs of jealousy, comparison happening. But inside, I started noticing these, these flashes of, of warmth across my cheeks and my chest and this sense of being watched. The, the jealousy is a triangle, right? And so you, there enters, you enter into this state where you're not sure whether your love bond is secure, Mm -hmm. And everything starts to change and you start feeling watched and watching other people with suspicion. It was not a comfortable time. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a law. It was, it was six months of hell really. Yeah. Now the je so, so there are a couple people involved here. So that yeah. was where you, you said you were married at the time and so was he. Yeah. So what were the responses from them? Yeah. So his wife was actually lovely about it because it turned out that they had had an open relationship for pretty much the whole time they'd been married, but in a very don't ask, don't tell quiet way. I didn't understand any of that. I didn't really understand what it meant. So her response was, you love him. Okay. Love, love is love. Love exists in the world. Okay. That's fine. My husband's response was completely the opposite. He had complete dissociation. He lost it. It was, it was the end of our marriage. It was very, very fast. 45 days later, we were split mm. and it was incredibly painful. We had been childhood, you know, high school sweethearts, the whole nine yards. And I couldn't understand at the time why he couldn't understand my perspective. It was as if we had just in an instant landed on two different planets and we just didn't understand where each other was coming from anymore. And we couldn't seem to slow it down enough to find any common ground again. And, and I can see such a sense of confusion here because first of all, you're, you're looking outside of yourself 
for either confirmation or support or answers. And everybody has a different opinion. Right. And then you're struggling with what's going on within your own mind and your own heart. Mm-hmm. And, and then what do you, what do you do with all of that? And then there, you get in one idea and one perspective from your husband, another one from his wife. So, yeah. so what'd you do? So <laughs> I didn't know what to do, but I got my answer when I went to actually break it off. Um, I went, I, I was told to go break it off. Um, my husband was very clear, like that was a no, a non-negotiable for him. And I did. And partway through the visit to this man's house, uh, my husband stormed into the home that I, and, and like, and was violently upset and very aggressive. And that was actually my moment. That was my turning point when I realized that no matter how much I loved my husband, I could never be married to the guy who I had known before. I would never not know how violent and how rageful he was. Some of it very, very much deserved in a way, right? They're like the feeling had a, a basis, but what he decided to do with it didn't. And so that became my, my turning point where I said, okay, this is no longer about what feelings I'm having. This is about me needing to create a relationship with myself again, because clearly things are not working in my life. So I started over, I got a divorce and started over. And in the meantime, um, yeah, so his wife was fine with it. So we continued to have a relationship. I wound up moving in with them and. Okay. So hold on. So I know we, I we know. have to go there because <laughs> yeah, I know everybody's like, oh no, you didn't. <laughs> I know, right? I can't even believe my story often. So so tell us how that went down. That went down at a at a um they took me out for dinner um on New Year's Eve and they were like, you know, it sounds like your husband doesn't want to be with you anymore and you don't want to be with him, but we want you. So come come stay with us. And at the time, I couldn't see any reason not to. I loved them both dearly. I, I, I wanted to be in their life. And it seemed like anything was possible. And that was me. It was, it was a point in my life where now I can see how so much stress was going on. There was so much going on. And I felt so ungrounded that there was no way for me to make a rational or, or wise decision. Mm-hmm. Instead, I just jumped. And I jumped out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. Right. I didn't know what I was getting into. And who does when they're in that kind of stress state? Uh, okay, so so give us now a perspective because I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to understand and I so want to, and I know all my listeners want to also. So here you are, you're in this house, you're clearly attracted to him. He's married to her. Yeah. She's okay with it. Like, did y'all have breakfast together? Like, what? Yeah, well, tell us what the what the what it was like there. We all had breakfast together. We had billions of conversations. We spent every evening. We wound up opening a business together. All three of us. We became. We were raising our children all together, and we were we were sharing everything. We were just together. We were friends. We were three adults living in a house, enjoying each other's company, and. It didn't honestly feel strange at the time because it wasn't about who loved who. It was just us doing the best we could to love each other the way we were. It, it really didn't feel like the stretch that I, even now, my own imagination strains to see. Like, how did we imagine that? We hadn't had any models for it. How did we see? And it went on for quite some time in a really pleasant way. 
and then we reached a breaking point where we couldn't actually continue. And that was because the public face of a triad was intolerable to the to his wife. It was just intolerable to her. In I, what way was she? Well, were people speaking to her about it? Or I, yeah, and I shouldn't. I'm not going to speak for her, but I know that there was a lot of back chatter in our circle of friends, in our families, um, and our families all knew each other very well about this is about the wrongness, right? Like the couple is the privileged paradigm of relationship in this culture. And so if you're going to do something else, you have to expect that there is going to be pushback. And so I, we didn't realize at the beginning that people weren't going to just magically accept that we were doing something different. We really just had this delicious naivete about what was gonna happen. And so when we tried to be public about it, it was met with a lot of derision. Mm -hmm. And that derision really wore on her, um, wore on all of us, but especially on her. And, and yet it was this bond that had been built was sort of, it was very, very deep and, and profound. And at the same time, I didn't know until I was inside that their relationship had been struggling for years. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I tell people when they're going to have a complicated relationship, any kind of complicated relationship is the foundation needs to be extremely secure. You need to be secure in yourselves and secure together. And if it's not, then alterations to the standard model are probably going to bring big challenges. Their relationship wasn't secure, but I didn't know it because they didn't know it. They didn't talk about the relationship. They hadn't been to therapy. They hadn't read the books and done the work to know what it would mean to introduce someone watching their relationship all the time. Mm -hmm. Someone pointing out to them, just what they what they hadn't been seeing that what we all have in our households a dynamic right? and, and i guess it was so much more obvious because you were having probably such a different type of relationship with him that yeah. she than she was having with him so it just yeah. became magnified it did it magnified things we had very very different relating styles were very very different personality types um and and he, for his part, um, he, he wasn't a strong enough hinge. He wasn't a person who could hold that space and he wouldn't do it now. Um, we talk about that all the time. Uh, there's, there is a, there's a real strength to be held. You're, you're going to hold that kind of energy with two women uh, like uh, wanting things from you. You better be secure and strong in yourself. And if you're not, you're going to harm people. You're mm -hmm. going to cause some pretty deep confusion, if nothing else. And it turned out that their life wasn't what they thought it was. I wound up being the person who, you know, catalyzed their awareness, but not the actual change. Mm -hmm. The change it turned out had been there for years, many years. So, okay, so she gets to this breaking point. She just can't, it's just way too hard for her to hear what she's hearing from everybody else. And then what happened after that? And where did your jealousy come in? Because it sounds like yeah. if anything, she would be, I could see her being yeah. the jealous one. So here's why jealousy wound up being my, my study point, because we never talked about jealousy. Never. In fact, we banned the word from the house. We only talked about envy, envy being wanting what someone else has, um, rather than jealousy being some wanting to have some person another, another person has, right? So we just never talked about jealousy. We banned it. We, we wanted to never talk about comparison. And by banning it, we made it 
the center point of our whole world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anything you push down, I mean, I studied Jungian and archetypal psychology. So anything you push down is into the unconscious is going to pop up and beat the heck out of you later. <laughs> Follow you around like a shadow. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And that's what it did. So was she jealous? She never admitted to it, but all the actions said yes. And and just the 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 bare facts of it her love bond was interrupted. And that is something I'm deeply apologetic for. Like that is a harshness that I would never visit upon someone now. I didn't realize what that was, that there was an interruption happening. Now, I also had jealousy pop up because I was, one, I was dealing with being the object. I was, I had jealousy pointed at me, which is its own whole experience. But I also was experiencing my own disruption because I had, as my, as my, friendship with each of them deepened anything that the other did could interrupt either of them she was one of my best friends and so now when he interfered with our friendship I would even feel jealousy Mm. it was shocking to me how it popped up everywhere how it could disrupt almost any interaction we were having because we weren't naming it because we weren't calling it out and we weren't learning how to work with it there are ways to work with it, but every time we shoved it down, it became this loud undercurrent of the home. And then how does it, because I imagine it was only worse because now you have kids together too? Everybody's well, living together? We, we, yeah, so together we have seven children, but they're all, they're all from our first marriages. So four and three. And so together we have all seven and yep, we were living all together. And it was, that was probably the most challenging part was that, the kids actually all got along awesome. The kids were amazing together. The kids had known each other their whole lives. I was in the birthing room when um, when the twins were born and um, my uh, my ex-partner was in the room when my kids were born. It's it's It was so entangled in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Like there were these connections between our children and our families that were inextricable and our kids formed this basis that was actually made it really easy to be a family. They mm-hmm. were siblings very quickly. They they meshed into a family and that I wouldn't trade for anything. They here they are still this this big glom of a family. Right. And, and kids just do. They just they just get it. How did they explain it to their friends? I mean, did they struggle with that? Yeah, you know, they it's funny. I used to wonder how it was going for them. And when they're young, there's not a lot you can do. You can't really understand, but now they're older. And so we've been able to have a lot of conversations about it. And what I've noticed is no matter how clear and honest we were with the kids about what was happening, none of them understood it until they understood it. Like they, they had to get to a spot where it made sense to them. And it all seemed to happen for each child individually, somewhere between 13 and 16. It really sort of like, Oh, Oh, that's how that was. Okay. And before that, we were just grownups. They were concerned with their needs being met. End of story. And all these grownups were pointing attention at them. They weren't particularly concerned. My, you know, my inclination to try to explain it to them in a certain way. Yeah. But kids are only going to get what they can get. It's just like trying to explain sex to them. You can tell them all the stuff, but it's when they come to you with questions. 
Right. And you start to ex- answer their questions. That's when they start to really understand. So now from the place where you are now and, and looking back, is it the kind of thing that you feel was, was a, a, for where you were at the time, it was a, a great idea for you? Would you, you know, if one of would your kids, you, would you do it again? We, now that you have a bunch of kids, would you recommend it for them? Would you, what have you learned from that experience? What would you do differently? Yeah. So what I, what I would do differently is I would have slowed everything down. I would have slowed down a lot, but um, I'm still polyamorous. I came to understand polyamory in myself as just sort of a, an orientation. I, I fall in love with people. Now, what I do with that is completely up to me. My behavior now would be very, very different. I would have slowed everything down. I would have asked very different questions and I would have get, gotten myself situated because it, my first marriage was done um, and it was done for a bunch of reasons. And I could have taken that time and invested in myself and, and come through that, that transition all on its own. But would I change my, my polyamorousness? I wouldn't, because for me, that is the honest truth that I fall in love with more than one person at a time. Does that mean I have to have a romantic relationship with them? No. Does it mean that I have to have sex with them? Nope. But if I deny my, my own sense of, of falling in love, all that happens is I keep secrets and that doesn't work for me. So instead I, I pull it out and it, it lives as a central part of my life that I stay very aware of. Mm-hmm. We've, we do set up very clear boundaries now that I didn't know to set up before. You know, we have a commitment, for instance, to we, we said we wouldn't live with another a third adult in the house until the kids were grown because we didn't want them to experience another um, disruption, another in and out. That's mm-hmm. hard in itself. Mm-hmm. But I, what I would say to my kids if they came to me and said, I don't think I love just one person. I think it's more complicated than that. I think I would say, okay, here are some books to read. I'm here for all your questions. Let's, let's do this well because it's so easy to hurt each other in love, whether you're in love with one person or 10 people, it is so easy because when we're in love, we're vulnerable. And when we're vulnerable, almost anything could enter the picture and feel like a disruption or an upset. So I would just do it differently. Right, and and so let's say, because you have so many kids to choose from, let's say a few of them decide, or even just one decided that that's the path for them. How would you work with them about the jealousy aspect? Because I just, I'm struggling to imagine um, how how is it that they wouldn't be jealous? Yeah, so I actually, so my doctoral study was on jealousy specifically in polyamorous individuals because I was curious how other people had dealt with this. And what I found was that um, people who had committed to this this lifestyle, this choice had actually come upon some moves that they make with jealousy that are, that are repeated over and over again. So in every interview that I had, the people who were successfully dealing with jealousy were doing the same things over and over again. The first is that they were naming their jealousy. They were not denying it. They were naming it, even if it was very mild, or even if they weren't sure that they were feeling it, they would try to give it a name. They would they would describe it to their partners. It became a very normal part of the conversation. The so not thing, hidden. It wasn't not hidden. hidden. Not okay. hidden. The next thing that they would do is that they would pull it apart. Jealousy is not a singular emotion. It's not a simple emotion. It's a complex emotion. It's made of other emotions like anger, fear, grief, sadness, 
and even arousal. So we have to pop the hood on jealousy and find out what's inside of it. People who do that find out, oh, okay, so my jealousy is made of anger and sadness. Okay, do I have tools for dealing with anger and sadness? Maybe I do. If I have tools for that, great. If I don't, let's go find some tools for anger and sadness because jealousy is a cloak over all that. We can't work with it until we've untangled. So once they've named it and then they've figured out what it's made of and what's really what emotional forces are driving them, then they name their needs. They set up their boundaries and start naming, okay, here's what I need to feel secure in my relationship. And they get really clear and granular about those needs. Um, sometimes it's about how contact happens. Sometimes that would be about um, what whether, whether we're being polyamorous and practicing polyamory are two different things, right? So are, how are we going to behave? Maybe we have feelings for someone, but how are we behaving? So they have really, really concentrated boundary conversations. And, and then, I guess as long as, and that's yeah. where both of the parties have to be on the yes. same page right there. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. This can't be a one-sided deal. There's People can be in relationships where not everybody has another partner. That's That's not the problem. It's that the, the whole premise of polyamory is based on the idea that you have conversations, you actually set your boundaries, you set your expectations, and then you do what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. It also does require a level of flexibility in your expectation. You can't just, you can't just close your eyes and hope it's going to work out. There's, mm-hmm. there's a real need for allowing yourself to experience change, which is not something everybody's open to. So right. if, somebody, like, if one of my children who's more change resistant wanted to go down this route, that's what I would warn them. Like, you don't love change. Are you sure that this is the right choice for you? And maybe they'd want to go in there. Anyways. And, yeah. And, and what happens if someone changes their mind? Well, you know what? It's the same thing as it happens in monogamy. When people tell me, hey, you know, consensual non-monogamy never works out. I say, um, by the numbers, monogamy doesn't work out either. We can't look at it. If we only measure our relationship's worth by its longevity, we're missing out on measuring all the things we learned, all the love that was had, and all the joy that we found while we were in it. My first marriage was not a failure. It was not. We One, we made four beautiful children together. Two, we learned from each other. We parented each other through some really junky stuff. And we just had a good time together for a whole bunch of time. It wasn't a failure but it was done. So I would ask people to, to imagine that their life doesn't have to go as planned because it's going to get interrupted. Death happens, life happens, divorces happen. We just have to allow that to be true, even though it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. That makes so much sense. What do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap up? So I want to give you one last thing. The oh, fourth, sure. The fourth thing that people do who are polyamorous, they have a secret weapon that is not talked about in monogamous circles. And that is the word compersion. C-O-M-P-E-R-S-I-O-N, compersion. Compersion is the opposite of jealousy. It's the feeling of joy for another person's joy, even if it has nothing to do with you, even if it excludes you. It has its roots in the Buddhist concept of mudita, but it's actually a step further into that. Like I'm going to practice feeling joy if my partner's happy. And that might not include me. It is 
not necessarily simple, but people feel compersion all the time. You watch a little kid having an ice cream cone and you feel compersion, even if you're dairy intolerant, mm-hmm, <laughs> you have mm-hmm. that joyful feeling. So we practice pointing that at our partner's joy. And what, when I first taught my, my youngest child this concept, he said, oh, I didn't know that was a thing, but now that I know what it is, I can, I can do that. And he was 12 at the time and he started practicing it on his dogs. Mm-hmm, like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, I can feel compersion. If I were to leave people with one thing, it's that, that there is an opposite of jealousy and we just need to know what its name is and start practicing it. It's, it's not instead of jealousy. Compersion comes and it sits next to jealousy mm-hmm. as an opposite that you can, okay, I feel jealous and I can feel compersive. Mm-hmm. Both of these things can be true at the same time. It's it's amazing. New word. I didn't know that one. Okay. So where do we go to learn more about you and the wonderful work you do? So you can find me at joliehamilton.com. That's J-O-L-I Hamilton, like the musical, nice and easy. And you can find my book, Project Relationship, on any place that uh, sells books these days. Okay. Jolie, I want to thank you so much. This is definitely uh, something we haven't spoken about on the show. And uh, who knows? I mean, it, I learned a ton and I'm sure my listeners did too. So I want to thank you so much for your, your wisdom, your insight, and for doing the study on jealousy. Thanks for going out on a limb with me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, that was certainly interesting. It's easy to see the mingling of so many different emotions as someone navigates a polyamorous path, with jealousy being something that must definitely be dealt with. Stay in touch with Dr. Jolie by going to joliehamilton.com, and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. How to deal with jealousy in a polyamorous relationship. One, name it, the jealousy. Don't act like it's not there when it is. Two, pull it apart. What's the jealousy made of? Anger, fear, grief, sadness? Jealousy is a cloak over all of it. Three, name your needs. What do you need to feel secure? Four, learn the secret weapon. Compersion. I love that word. Compersion is the opposite of jealousy. I love the idea of compersion and I can see being happy for others for sure in the cases of being happy for my kids, celebrating successes of my friends, etc. I clearly need more work to do to go the distance when it comes to compersion in a romantic relationship. <laughs> like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review. And of course, if you know of someone struggling to heal from betrayal, be sure to tell them about the show. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.